Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today I've got a very special guest, Madeline Black, who has very kindly come on to the show to share her story. But before we get into that, and before I welcome Madeline onto the podcast, I must give viewers and listeners a heads up that this content of this podcast is very sensitive and it shouldn't really be for the ears of any young children. So if you've got any young children around, I'm just giving you the heads up that the, the content in, is a sensitive subject. So I'm just giving you ample warning that it's an adult only conversation and audio on this particular episode. Okay, so uh, welcome Madeline. Thank you so much, Lynn, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I really appreciate you giving up your time and uh, being prepared to come and tell us a bit about you and your story. So. First of all, um, would you be happy to share your story with my listeners and uh, just tell me and the listeners how you've come to where you are now in terms of your speaking career? Sure. So my story really starts when I was 13 years old. It was after a night out that ended disastrously for me because I ended up being gang raped by two young American teenagers. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's not any easy way to say it. There isn't. And I I know that people who know my own personal story, if they've listened to the early episodes on the Hearts Entwined podcast, know that I can absolutely relate to that and can really strongly empathise. Sadly, too many of us can relate to my story. My story is not uncommon. It's a story of many men and women out there. And what subsequently happened? You know, is it um, a case of you kept that to yourself? Because I know... When it happened to me, this happened in the 70s, it happened more than once. And I wasn't in a position where I felt I got a close enough relationship with my own parents to share that that story or with anybody else. So I kept silent about what happened to me for, for decades. Yep, I did keep silent because one of the last things they did was they told me if I spoke about it, they would kill me. And some of the things they had already done to me, I believed them. I was only 13, so I did believe them. Um, so I didn't, I couldn't find my voice for about three years. And even then I couldn't speak the words. I left a note on my pillow one morning after an argument with my mum when I was coming home late because my behaviour was pretty off the scale by then. And when they phoned the other girl that was involved, she said that it hadn't happened like I said it had happened. So I just felt so betrayed and not believed. And it would take me a long time really to find my voice and speak out like I am now. Gosh. So can you give us a, a bit of a, an insight into the, the actual events of what actually happened on that particular day? Yeah, I had a friend at school who was just um, everything that I wasn't. She was just really cool. <laughs> so she suggested a night out and I said yes. And we lied about where we were staying and somehow we managed to buy a bottle of vodka. It was the late 1970s, so I guess the, the laws were a bit more relaxed. And we took it to a local cafe and we mixed it with orange juice and we drank it in secret under the table. Um, 
I was just a 13-year-old, naive, you know, skinny girl who'd never drunk before. So very quickly, I got very sick, threw up everywhere, and then we were kicked out. And two of the young men took us in a taxi back to her mum's empty flat, and they separated us straight away. And I thought they were really going to just put me in the bed and let me sleep off the alcohol. But it became very clear that they were there for something else. Oh, crikey. I can so relate to this. So did you actually know these guys beforehand or were they strangers? I knew one of them uh, who was actually a neighbour of one of my friends at school, but I didn't know the other one. And, and then what happened later? Uh, well, then we, in the morning, they had gone and my friend was now in the bed next to me and she hadn't been touched and I had loads of injuries. But we just decided to clean up the flat and we went our separate ways and we went back to school as if nothing had happened. But that's not quite right, really, because as you know, what we can't speak about has got to come out somehow. And it just started to leak out of me. I couldn't contain, you know, the, the reactions. So I developed anorexia. I started to use drugs and alcohol just to numb out and push it far, far away from my mind as much as I could. I had so many fears, phobias, anxieties. I attempted suicide, which led me to about two or three months stay in a children's psychiatric ward. And when I left, my behavior just, I just rebelled even more. Um, just started to do whatever my parents said not to do. I would do the opposite. I was partying hard, using more drink and drugs to just numb out and became really promiscuous in that time as well because I was just too scared to say no. You know, if a guy tried it on, um, I just thought, well, if I, if I resist and fight back like the last time, it's going to get violent. So it was not a good place in my life at that moment. It was a really dark place. I remember afterwards having a, a bit of a promiscuous phase, but I feel that um, that was on the back of my um, lack of self-worth and self-love. I can remember it not... Absolutely also that as well. Yes. I just thought I was worthless, dirty, contaminated, all the rest of it. And I just thought, well, the worst has already happened. I have no self-respect for my body at all. Mm. I think we can also identify when we do see girls who are promiscuous or are very overtly sexual in, in their behaviour and the way they dress. I, mm -hmm. I can feel real empathy because I, I do think, you know, a lot of those girls are doing that on the back of this lack of self-love and lack of self-worth. And I think a lot of girls go looking for love through sex, don't they? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone is going to respond in a different way to whatever trauma they've experienced. There's no set way to respond. But for me, I can look back now and see that my promiscuity was definitely on the back of what had happened to me. Yeah, and me too. But what what happened later for me was that um, I did build up some self-esteem and self-worth, but then I became um, very masculine in what energy I was exuding because I felt like I was wearing this protective suit of armour and it was very defensive and wasn't allowing men into my heart. How, how are your relationships affected going forward from uh, that? Well, I cut all my hair off and I wore baggy clothes to try and avoid attention, I guess. Um but uh, yeah, so I was very lucky when I was 17, my parents thought it would be a good idea for me to get away. So I went to Israel for a year to get away from all the bad influences. She didn't know my mum that on the kibbutz, they grew grass everywhere. So I was still <laughs> able to get drugs. We laugh about it now. But near to the end of my year away, I met a Glaswegian called Stephen and I've been with him ever since. That's 35 years. So I've been very lucky and I do believe 
um, that he was an angel sent to save me, really, because at that point I was just on self-destruct. I had no self-respect or self-worth. I just really didn't enjoy being me, didn't see the point of me, hated myself most of the time. So yeah, he really showed me that, well, with his love, I saw that I was lovable. I could give love back to him. And slowly over time, I learned to like myself and then eventually love myself too. Wow, that's great. I think that's phenomenal. So were you able to share or did he already know what had happened to you when you met? He didn't know straight away, but when things got serious and he popped the question, I had to tell him that I would never become a mum because I was terrified at the idea of starting a family. The thought of giving birth to me was just going to be like being raped again. You know, I had all these images in my head that there would be men at my cervix and my feet and stirrups and it just freaked me out. But I'm very glad to say I reversed my decision and I have three gorgeous girls. And that really was the start of my healing journey. I'd say becoming a mum, entering motherhood changed so much for me because I did the very thing that I thought I could never do. And that, that's pretty empowering to do that. It's, it's ironic. We've got very parallel stories because I've got two daughters as well. And I was very adamant when I got married, I was never going to have children <laughs> for exactly. Yeah. I think the, yes, there it is. Must just be, it's a biological reaction as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So did you ever at any stage have a conscious decision about sharing what had happened to you with your own daughters at a specific age that you thought would be a good age yeah, to tell them? No, because obviously I am a mother, I'm a Jewish mother, so I always wanted to protect them. You know, I didn't want the same thing to happen to them. But actually through my kids, I saw that if I'm not careful, I'm going to put all my fears onto them. And then I thought, what would be the point? of having these girls. So they always knew at a young age, you know, I did it in age appropriate language. They always knew that two boys hurt me very badly. That as they got older, became more aware about sex and rape, I told them exactly what happened, not all the details. It was kind of, I guess, a cautionary tale. Uh, I'm not blaming the alcohol at all, but I always wanted them to have their senses, you know, okay to not numb them and to be aware of the situation. Looking back, I realized that's, a wrong message because it doesn't matter what we're drinking or smoking or wearing it's never the victim's fault but I just always wanted them to be okay and to be safe yeah I found that my home ended up being more or less an open house for all my um, daughter's friends because then I always knew where they were <laughs> yes so Anna was clubbing at 15 when she went to high school I this is when I saw that my my fears are going crazy. She wants to take the public bus. And I said, no way, I'm going to drive you to school. Just like I've driven you every day to primary school. But she begged me and I said, okay. So I gave her the bus money. I gave her a rape alarm in her other pocket, told her not to listen to her music with her iPods, you know, the earbuds in, sit nearest the bus driver. And then I watched her get on the bus. And then I drove my car behind the bus. <laughs> and I thought, this is crazy. This is, this is when I really stopped and went, what am I doing? This, what mess? am I giving my children I'm wrapping them up in fear and I wanted them to live their life not be as scared to live their life so I had to really find a way to just let them be so she was clubbing at 15 and you know doing whatever and now she's so sensible far more sensible than me <laughs> great stuff and how's your relationship evolved with your your lovely partners Steve did you say yeah I would say we've kind of really because we met when we were so young we've kind of grown up together and um, now it's really easy. But yeah, there were times for him that it must be really difficult to be in a relationship with me. He uh, has a yeah, good lot of patience. 
Yeah, I mean, I found, I mean, I was married to my ex-husband for 23 years and I found within that relationship, I wasn't able to open my heart to him the same as I can with in, in my current relationship with my, my partner, Paul, who I've been with nearly 10 years now. And I don't know why the, that was, but um, I always felt like I'd got a bit of a suit of armour within that relationship. And I was at times quite confused and, and cold and, and quite frigid. Um, I don't know whether you went through a phase of that or not. Uh, I, I maybe did go through those phases or sometimes what would happen to me when, because a long time I didn't remember all the details and it really when Anna turned 13, a lot of memories come back and flashbacks and nightmares and I, oh, it was just a horrible time. For about three years, I, I went through therapy again. And in that time, Stephen's face would turn into their face if we were making love and I just had to push him off me. I couldn't, you know have that it was just so terrifying and I thought why now this most intimate moment the moment I love best with this man I love why are you showing me their faces but obviously it's so connected <laughs> it's such an intimate crime it's bound to come back at those moments yeah and for a long time at the end of sex I just used to cry and cry and cry and I never knew why I cried and in the beginning he would ask me are you okay and then just near to the end he would just put his his eyes very close to my eyes and feel my tears and just hold me and just say you're okay. I wish it doesn't happen anymore. I don't cry anymore afterwards, but yeah, he's, he was very aware that it was nothing to do with him. It was just stuff moving through my body. Wow, that, that's great. I really, really, really ad- admire how he responded to your pain because that that is what I have now experienced with my current partner. And I think it's because he's experienced severe trauma in his past and so he could empathise, whereas I didn't feel when I did eventually tell my ex-husband that he could empathise at all or relate well, to what I've been through. Well, he's not had any trauma in his life, not that we know of, um, but he just has a great heart, I guess. He could just he was just able to be there for me. And when the day came, I was having therapy again, when Anna turned 13, it was about three years, and my therapist said, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to tell him all the details. And I was like, I can't tell him all of that. He'll be pushed off me. He won't want to be with me anymore. All my, you know, shame patterns coming up to meet me. And the only way I could tell them was when we were in bed in the dark with the lights off. I couldn't face them to tell them because the shame was too big. And he was he was really okay. He was fine. I said, you know, I was worried they were going to kill me. He said, but they didn't. And he's right. <laughs> they didn't kill me. I am still here. That's fantastic. So he's a very grounded individual. Yeah, and you know what? Um, it's marvellous when we can attract that sort of um, empathic partner, I suppose, because as I say... Um, I didn't actually feel as though I got that with, bless him, you know, he was a very good man, my ex-husband, a very good father, very good husband, but I didn't feel that I was getting that empathy from him. And I think that's what in the end, um, you know, I suppose made me feel that, that that relationship had run its course. So what is it you're up to these days then within your, have you just sort of more or less got a got a full-time speaking career or, or are you doing other things? Well, well, I am a psychotherapist, but I wrote my memoir, which was published a couple of years ago, Unbroken, which is my tells my whole story of what happened to me, recovery and where I'm at now. Because in the end, I chose to forgive the two men who gang raped me, which is quite hard for some people to hear, mm. but the forgiveness was really nothing to do with them. It was actually an act of self-love and totally self-empowering. And it just allowed me to let go of all the anger and the hate and revenge, all these fant- fantasies I had of revenge over them. It just allowed me to let it all go. 
So I wrote that down. And ever since I shared my story publicly, I've just been asked to speak. And so I'm currently working with my last client. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm going to focus on speaking because it, I'm just getting more and more engagements to speak. So it feels like this is the way that my life is being led. So I'm just following the signs or going with it. So that's where I'm at right now. I love the fact that you said about self-forgiveness and forgiveness for them as well, because um, I think that is the most empowering thing we can do. A lot of people, like you say, don't understand that. But the thing is, if you don't let it go um, and do it for yourself, they'll always have that power to negatively impact your life, won't they? And I, you know, I have to say two things. I'm never going to forgive the act of rape because it was a total violation on more my body and my psyche rather than my, my mind and my psyche rather than my body. And I'm not really saying that in order to heal that you have to forgive, but this was how I chose to do it. Me too. And it, as you say, it allowed me to just let it go and just put it in the past, which is where it is. Yeah, and, and it was exactly the same for me. I did it for myself. I don't forgive the... Um, the, the behaviour, like you say, I'll never condone that. Um, but, you know, the actual act of actually saying that you for, forgive them in terms of that feeling very liberating and very empowering to then be able to live your life without feeling that they're going to be able to negatively impact your life was, was so, so great for me moving forward. I found that, you know, to be a big shift. Once I'd been I able had to do a that. I look at the word and I think it's for giving me a better chance. Yes. Mm. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like the way you put that across. So what, what is it you, you're up to next? When's your next major um, speaking engagement that you've got? Well, I can now officially say I'm an international speaker because I'm just home from South Africa, which was really great. I had two speaking events there and a radio show. My next event actually is tomorrow. I'm speaking at Newcastle Noir Crime Festival and I am the only non-fiction, I think, present. They're all crime writers. But I know the organiser, Jackie, and I said, do you have a panel for violence against women and she said no but you're coming and i'm going to get a panel together so i'm speaking with three other authors all fiction authors which is great because i'm just passionate about speaking out about rape and sexual abuse sexual violence just to really end the shame and the stigma and the silence and also to show people that you can heal you know there is hope it doesn't have to be a shadow forever over your life you can really go on and have a good life you certainly can and on the back of that as well, have some great relationships as we're a testament to, you know, in terms of attracting, you know, I've been through the whole range of initially before I met my ex-husband of attracting poor relationships. And like you said, I had a, yourself, you know, I had that promiscuous phase as well, where I was attracting um, abusive type relationships where men would take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And then it just reinforces your, you know, your own negative self-worth that you've already got. Um, mm -hmm. so it's easy to get trapped in those relationships. But then I, I also found, even if it was in good relationships because of my own, again, negative self-worth, I, I would self-sabotage those even. Absolutely. And I would drive Stephen mad. I used to say to him, why do you want to be with me? <laughs> what, you could be with anyone. What, why do you, how can you love me when you say that you do? I could, I just couldn't understand it. But he just always replied from a very grounded and connected place that he just did. And so I just saw over time. And I know now that love is always going to win over hate, always. And whether that's love from someone else or love of ourselves, you know, it's always going to win. 100% agree. 
Yes. And so any other big events that you've got coming up in the next couple of weeks, Madeline, that maybe some of the listeners might be able to attend and, and go to? Well, if anyone is in Glasgow on June the 14th, I will be doing a TED Talk, which is very exciting um, because also Annie Lennox is going to be the headline act, which is really exciting as well. So I'll be sharing the stage with Annie Lennox. <laughs> Great right? stuff. I know, which is not every day you can say that. But if they can't make that, they normally put all the videos up and they will be released. Um, what else do I have coming up? There's another event in Glasgow, just at a local place called the We Retreat. It's just an evening with an author. I'm doing an event in June for psychotherapists and counsellors, but I think people can come along in the evening. So there's always stuff going on. Hopefully in July, I'm going to be doing some work with UNICEF overseas. So that's really quite exciting. Fantastic. So if any listeners would like to get in touch with you, Madeline, what is the best contact information? I'll make sure we've got that within the show notes anyway, but just so that the listeners can grab uh, that information right now. What is the best contact? Well, I'm all over social media, so you can find me on most uh, social media platforms, but my website is madlaneblack.co.uk or if you go to Twitter, I am madblack65. <laughs> and I love the fact that you, I don't know whether you have run with this or not, but you you was, um, put, we were connected via one of the Facebook groups. And um, I love the fact that you'd put, uh, I'm thinking about calling my talks Mad Talks, you know, because your name's yes. Madeline. Uh, so are you running with that? Well, it's, well it's, it's for Mad for Madeline. I'm mad because I still need to be speaking about sexual violence. Mad because it's making a difference. And mad because it's all about our mindset, our attitude and our determination. So it stands for many things. <laughs> Love that. <Grown. laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm still going. So if you look for the hashtag Mad Talks, you should find me as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Madeline. I just wanted to give any women, especially listeners that have been through any sort of similar trauma, the the hope that and the, the realization that they can go on to have great, fulfilling, healthy relationships. Absolutely. Um, I would also just like to say that, you know, it's never, ever too late to get any support or find your voice. I've done so many different types of therapies, but the single most thing that has helped me the most has been to speak about it. And I don't um, suggest that everybody stands on a stage and speak like I do, but find someone, whether it's a, a therapist or a friend, someone that you trust. It doesn't matter who it is, but to be listened to, to be heard and to be believed, there's nothing more powerful than that. Yeah, absolutely understand. And I want to tell any listeners that have been through any sort of similar trauma that I absolutely concur with everything that Madeline has just said. You know, it is important to speak about it. That's it's your very first step. Get your voice heard. So um, thanks once again, Madeline. I'm going to wrap up the episode and um, hopefully we'll probably rearrange another episode in the future and um, have um, a talk about maybe a different subject around relationships. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. So I will put Madeline's contact details in the show notes for those that want it and you'll also be able to read her bio. So for now, remember, true love starts with opening our hearts. Until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group 
Two Hearts Entwined. Or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn, or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.